Well, today we are starting a very brand new sermon series. We're going to be working our way through the book of James. Now, James, when he wrote this book, was writing to Jewish Christians who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire because they were facing persecution. They were facing trials of many kinds. This letter offers some wonderful words of wisdom for the Christian walk, but it also offers practical application. It's kind of like a New Testament Testament book of Proverbs, if you will. Now, we can spend a lot of time gaining wisdom, can't we? Like from the Bible or from prayer or from people that are surrounding us in our life groups and bands. But we have to ask ourselves the question, does this wisdom change our actions. I mean, it's great to do daily devotions and to memorize scripture verses, but do they motivate you to increase your love of God and love of your neighbor? This is exactly what James is challenging us to do throughout his book, to put our faith into action. And so today we're going to examine trials, temptations, and perseverance. We're going to start by hearing the very opening of the book of James, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. I mean, James immediately tackles head on the reality of trials that we all face in our life. Note this, James doesn't say if trials come, does he? He says when trials come. So the Christian faith doesn't deny the reality of trials, but it does prevent us from allowing our trials to triumph over us. You see, according to James, our faith gives us the power and the perspective not to focus on our trials, but to focus on how best to overcome the reality of our trials. James calls us to face troubles without yielding. Now, it's kind of surprising to me. I might even say, go so far as to say it's shocking to me that James tells us to consider our trials (laughs) pure joy. I mean, he doesn't waste any time, does he? He starts this letter off with a bang. Consider your trials pure joy. And what he's telling us to do is to have a new perspective on our trials. He is saying that we can respond to our testing and our trials this way if we make the choice to do so. Now, the word consider implies a decision, doesn't it? Decisiveness. We have a choice to make in how we respond to our times of trial. James counsels us to make the choice to rejoice. And while this isn't always an easy thing to do, in fact, I think it's rarely an easy thing to do, it is a possible thing to do. 
And as we're going to see, it is a beneficial thing for us to do. If we look to Christ, if we trust in Christ, if we receive from Christ, then Jesus will give us joy. Joy that anchors us in times of trial so that we don't go drifting away. Now, it might be hard to believe, but God can use our trials for good. We know this, don't we? And so God allows them to happen in our life. Like Job, our trials can be used to to test our faith. Trials give us a chance to prove our love for God by our actions. I mean, it's easy to say we love God and to be faithful to God when everything is going well in our lives, isn't it? But what about when things get difficult, when times are tough? These are the times that require faith, and these are the times that show our true character. It's during challenging times that many people turn away from God rather than turning to God. We need to view trials as a chance for us to grow in our faith and to grow in our trust of God. If we want to be used by God for his glory, we have to be prepared for trials. God entrusts us with trials. Sometimes it feels like lots and lots of trials. And God uses trials because of what they do for us. Trials put God's power on display. They help sanctify us and, and, and reveal what's truly inside of us and, and what might need to be changed inside of us. Trials lead us to depend on God more and more. They're a tool that God uses to, to break our dependence on relying on ourselves so that we'll learn to trust God alone. When we rely on God through our trials... Others begin to see that God is dependable because of the way we act. God entrusts us with trials so that we can be a light to other people and speak about the hope which we have in God through Christ. And finally, our trials may be for discipline. Sometimes the Lord uses them to get our attention or to reveal sin in our lives. And just like a loving father... God wants to restore us to fellowship with him. A.W. Tozer compares a life of no trials versus a life with trials to a field. You know, a fallow field just lies around, doesn't it? It doesn't do much of anything. It doesn't fear the plow. It doesn't feel pain. It has no struggle, but it also experiences nothing of of new life, of, of new growth, of new potential. But when a farmer comes and lowers the plow and tears into that soil, the field experiences pain and comfort and discomfort. But it also breaks up the ground so that seeds can be planted and grow and flourish. The plow represents the trials and the tests God breaks up our ground so that we can grow. 
James is saying that if your Christianity is genuine, it will prove itself in times of trouble. If your faith in God is good only when you're doing well, then it's of little value. For true faith will sustain the believer when life goes wrong. When a person of little faith goes through a test, it inevitably reveals how shallow his or her faith is. But when a more mature believer goes through a test, it inevitably reveals how true his or her faith is, how deep it is, or where it is weak, or where it needs to be strengthened. Trials burn up imitation faith, but they strengthen true faith. Now, trials and temptations are different. And James makes an important distinction between them. He also clarifies for us the source of each of them. He makes it clear that God is never responsible for tempting people. Temptation comes from evil. It does not come from our pure and holy God. It's important that we know that God is not the source of temptation. Let's turn back to James, beginning in verse 13. He says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. You know, it's been said that when Satan tempts us, it's to try and bring out the very worst in us. But when in our temptation we turn to God for help, it brings out the best in us. It makes us more godly. At the heart of temptation is the enemy working to tempt you to not trust God, to go against the will of God, to steer you away from God. Now, we all know that there are various degrees of temptation on kind of a small scale. For the past few months, I've been trying to shed some extra weight that I'd put on. And one of the places of greatest temptation in our church is our office break room. <laughs> You can't believe the amount of donuts and candy and sweets and treats that sit out there on the table nearly every day tempting me. More than once I've walked into that break room to get a cup of coffee or some water and I've seen that table and I thought, get behind me, Satan, and I've had to turn and run out the door. But in all seriousness, temptation can be far more dangerous than just goodies in the break room. The thing about giving in to temptation is it can turn into a stronghold in our life. If we keep giving in to the same temptation over and over, it's like building a wall brick by brick by brick. But when we seek God's help when temptation comes, it's like dismantling that stronghold brick by brick by brick. 
Now, it's inevitable that temptations will come to us, but it is not inevitable that we must give in to them when temptations come our way. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So let's look at some ways that we can overcome temptation when they come our way. The first is to pray, pray, pray. I say that to emphasize that. You know, when we call out to God in the midst of our temptation, we call out to a God who rules and reigns over everything. And God reigns over our temptation. The Bible is quite clear that we are engaged in a war. There is a vicious battle raging all around us between the kingdom of God and the tyranny of a cruel insurgency. There is no neutral ground in the universe, says C.S. Lewis. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. You know, the name Satan literally means the adversary or the enemy. And Jesus describes the enemy as a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And since there is no neutral ground in the universe, as C.S. Lewis says, there can be no neutral people. We have to pick a side. No one gets to be a conscientious objector. So we need to call on the authority of the one who lives and reigns over everything, including what is tempting us. Pray, pray, pray to the ultimate authority, to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The next thing we can do is don't believe the lie. I think we can learn a lesson from listening in and looking over Eve's shoulder in the Garden of Eden. You know, the lesson to learn from Eve's fatal mistake when she was tempted is this, don't believe Satan's lies, and isn't he always trying to whisper lies into our ears? Since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been waging a battle in our minds. His strategy with Eve was to put a question mark where God had already placed an exclamation mark. The enemy asked her in Genesis chapter 3, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. And my friends, the devil's tactics haven't changed one bit in all that millennia. He attacks by tempting us, by tempting us to question the word of God and the character of God. The lie of the devil is that we can find greater gratification apart from God or that sin will make us happier and more content the lie is that we can be our own gods, that we can live for our created self and not for the creator who made us without consequence. Don't believe the lie. Sin never delivers what it promises it will. Sin, but because of God's transformative work in us, we don't have to fall captive to Satan's lies. Instead, 
of being on the defense, we can go on the offense. Using the language of warfare, Paul said, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The next way of overcoming temptation is to run, to run. We can learn a good lesson from this from Joseph and his story found in Genesis 39. It says, Joseph escaped and ran outside. You know, there are times when running is an act of cowardice, but there are also times when running is an act of integrity. You know, Joseph lost his garment by running, but he kept his integrity. There was persistence in Joseph's temptation. In Genesis 39.10, it says that Potiphar's wife spoke to Joseph day after day. He knew he could never let his guard down, that the temptation posed by this woman was a daily battle for him. And then one day, Joseph found himself in a dangerous circumstances. He was alone in the house with Potiphar's wife. It says none of the household servants were there. And Potiphar's wife used that occasion to grab Joseph by the garment, and she said, sleep with me. And Joseph recognized some circumstances call for running. And so most of the time, the wise thing to do is to run from temptation. Unless there's no way to escape it, don't stay in temptation's presence. Avoid situations where you know you're going to be attempted to do wrong. Physically remove yourself from the temptation. The fourth thing we can do to overcome temptation is to use God's word. Now we all know that knowing Bible verses and being able to quote them is a good thing and it is a helpful defense in resisting the devil's attacks. But living by the Bible is imperative. The devil knew scripture, but he didn't obey scripture. It was in his head, not in his heart. So don't just quote the Bible. Use it as a lamp unto your feet and a light for your path, as Psalm 119, verse 105 states. You know, I love Psalm 119. Not only is it the longest psalm, but more importantly, it is filled with practical counsel concerning using the word of God in combating temptation. Listen to some of these verses. Verse 11 says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. This indicates more than memorization, doesn't it? It indicates a passion for God's word that grows out of a deeper longing for God. It is God we seek in his word. Or verse 10 that says, I have sought you with all my heart. You know, the key to overcoming temptation is wanting God more than you want what temptation promises. Or verse 47 says, I delight in your commands, which I love. You know, a person who delights in Scripture gives his whole energy to know it and to obey it. Verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. In Ephesians 6.18, it says that God's word is a sword. And it is the only offensive weapon in the list of different items that we put on that make up the armor of God. 
You know, God's word, God's sword decimates the power of temptations. It chops temptation up into pieces where it has no power anymore. Well, last but not least in overcoming temptation is who you're going to call. And I'm here to tell you today, it ain't Ghostbusters. <laughs> in all seriousness, do you have a brother or do you have a sister in Christ who you can call when you are tempted? Someone that you can tell about your temptation. Someone you can reach out to no matter the time of day or night when you're tempted. All of these ways of overcoming temptations help us develop perseverance. Satan may use a situation in your life to try to tempt you to give up, but God can use that same situation to encourage you to persevere and therefore strengthen your faith. You know, yesterday's trials give you the faith to persevere through the trials of today and tomorrow. You don't need to be fearful of the trials that you face because God is with you. He's always been faithful to see you through to your trials to date, and he always will be. And what is the reward that comes when we persevere with God? Listen to what James says, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James is saying that the follower of Jesus Christ who faces their trials and temptations and perseveres to the end with Christ will be blessed. Imagine being so mature in your faith that you'd be able to say, even if all this world leaves for me is Christ, Christ is enough. Christ is my life. Christ is my everything. Christ is the crown of my life. Every one of us has faced trials and temptations in our lives. Most of us, if not all of us, are going through some right now. I know I am. If you are right now, I want you to stand up right where you are right now because I want to pray some scriptural blessings over you, some reminders to you today. I want to use God's word to both put the devil in his place with his lies and to remind you of the faithfulness that God has to his children. So if you're experiencing a trial in your life today, maybe it's a recent diagnosis, maybe it's a family member that's going through a trial that's got you worked up, maybe it's a friend or a family member in Florida that's just endured the hurricane, stand up. Or if you're experiencing a temptation in your life right now, I invite you, stand up. I'm thinking, knowing the world that we live in today, we should probably all be on our feet if we think about it. So hear and receive these promises from God's word over you right now. 
Isaiah 54, 17, the Lord declares, no weapon formed against you will prevail. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. 1 John 4, 4, you, my dear child, are from God and have overcome lying spirits because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is your light and your salvation. Whom shall you fear? The Lord is the stronghold of your life. Of whom shall you be afraid? Isaiah 41 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 32, 7 reminds us to make God your hiding place, for he will protect you from trouble and surround you with songs of deliverance. He will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. He will counsel you with his loving eye upon you. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us not to lose heart. Though outwardly you are wasting away, yet inwardly you are being renewed day by day. For your light and momentary troubles are achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Verse Peter 5 reminds us that the grace of God, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Philippians 4:19 says, "And God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus." And finally James reminds us that blessed are you who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, you will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so may we say amen and amen, for God's promises are true.